one, two, three. Okay. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the Ben Shapiro. He's a very smart man. If I had a modicum of his brain, I would really be happy. But unfortunately, I just have to lean on smart people, you know. Um, I wanted to go ahead and share with you a 60-minute presentation in regard to 5G. Who is hoodwinking who? There's no doubt COVID-19 has caused great uncertainty in the world, but does that mean we should ignore the scientists, doctors, and even politicians who are working to figure out ways to beat the virus? Well, yes, if you believe an increasing number of increasingly angry people who are convinced coronavirus is nothing more than a sinister plot to control their lives. But what do these conspiracy theorists know that we don't? And why are so many people listening to them? If there's two things that are important in life, it's truth and it's freedom. COVID-19 has created a perfect storm for conspiracy theorists. It's all a mind game. Around the world, we're seeing them become more vocal and more extreme. What if all you ever knew was a lie? Believing that much of what they're being told by the authorities, by the scientific and medical world, by the media, is a big fat lie. We want information and we want the truth. The truth doesn't change. Why have we seen this uprising, do you think? People who may never have decided to go public with their views are doing that. Why is that? some things just don't make sense with this. Some things just don't add up. The theories are as numerous as they are nonsensical. From 5G towers and vaccines spreading coronavirus to suspicions the virus was unleashed deliberately by Bill Gates or that a cabal of elites are intent on taking over the world. For most of us, they're ideas that are simply unbelievable. But to those leading the charge, we're the crazy ones if we don't start paying attention. The level of lies I believe we're being told. Just seeing the way that this thing has unfolded and the motives of the government and what they're telling everyone to do, it seems more about control than preventing the spread of a virus. Seven-year-old Venice Panayides is an ordinary bloke from the burbs of Melbourne. Do you feel like a rebel? A newcomer to the world of total distrust. We are here to ask questions and have them answered because things don't make sense. At a protest a month ago, he took centre stage before being arrested. A dramatic introduction to his new role as a leader of the anti-lockdown movement. I'm just some dude from Epping. (laughs) to be honest. So, what happened? (laughs) How did you find yourself in this position? When I felt that what's going on wasn't totally above board, where I believed the world is moving towards, um, I became concerned. For what? Look, I've always known and believed there are certain um, controlling interests in the world that are looking towards a one-world government, one-world currency, and 
that's a good thing as long as the people at the top have the people's best interests in mind. Because if they don't have the common man's interests in mind, then that's a very dangerous thing. Just two months ago, Fennis gave up his job training security guards to set up an online group that now has 60,000 members. Hey guys, how you going? And he speaks to them from his lounge room about his fears for the world. We're the people, mate. If we don't want the vaccine, we're the people, not you. You don't make the decisions for us. I was overwhelmed by the amount of people that were in sync with what I was saying. You see this thing here? This thing here is called a television. Tell a vision. Believing mainstream media is part of the great deception, Fenos encouraged his supporters to make a show-stopping statement. No longer will we be pregnant. He showed them how... Tell a vision. Tells us what to do. It's a television. And many followed. What that was was a protest against the overwhelming lies that the media's been pouring. Look, at the end of the day, if the media want to paint you as something, they're going to paint you as it anyway. So you might as well at least have a voice and just come on and just be you. We all know that a war is going on right now. And it's not just a COVID biological war. It's a war about ownership over your body and your mind. Whenever there's an event, a global event or even a local event, that makes people feel that they have lost control over their lives, their future. That is when conspiracy theories emerge. Pandemics have been giving rise to conspiracy theories for centuries. Professor Stefan Lewandowski is a cognitive scientist. He studies the way people think and why they engage in conspiracy theories. For some people, not everybody, but for some people, Conspiracy theories become very attractive because they're offering psychological comfort, ironically. If you can assume that there is a handful of really bad people out there who are conspiring to do these terrible things, that provides you with comfort because in principle, at least, it would be controllable. So it can't, it can't have happened unless somebody or something bad was behind it. Basically, some people find it much easier to explain big, traumatic events by postulating a big, really evil cause for that. This to me is the life. Is, that, <laughs> is this how you would like it to be? Barefoot, hearing the ocean, having a surf. I mean, this is, this is what it's about. And it doesn't mean we can't be serious at times. I've been known to be serious occasionally. <laughs> and complicated. Usually with a suit on. <laughs> For a long time now, celebrity chef Pete Evans has straddled two very different worlds. G'day everyone, afternoon update. We have some new podcasts for you. To the more than a million and a half people who follow him on social media, he's Paleo Pete. And you just replace the buns with mushrooms. Promoting a diet of low carbs. What's the breath work called? Served with a side dish of what he calls expanded consciousness with a dollop of conspiracy. 
Are you a skeptic? I. It's a good question. Am I a skeptic? Because I have a very healthy skepticism about everything. Or are you deeply suspicious? <laughs> oh, that's a good one too. Um, hmm. I am skeptical, and I also am suspicious because history has shown us that. I mean, even science. And you know this as a fact. Science has been bought by vested interests in so many different fields over the years. Pete has attracted plenty of suspicion himself, with controversial views on everything from sunscreens to dietary advice. To immerse yourself in a healing modality or healing tool. Most recently, he copped a large fine for spruiking a $15,000 biocharger lamp. It's programmed with about a thousand different recipes. There's a uh, couple on there for Wuhan coronavirus. Which he claimed could help those with COVID-19. It's on my website if anyone's interested. His social media pages have also given exposure to some of the more bizarre theories surrounding the virus. You posted, for example, um, a shot of Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you do you think he is part of a conspiracy? I don't know, and that's and I don't know. You'd put that up on your Facebook, yeah. for example. And why do you do that because, if you don't buy into it a bit? Because what Bill is suggesting, and every single interview that he has done recently is suggesting that the world will not become safe until every single person on the planet has been vaccinated for this. But what makes you think he can force that, even if he thought that? I, I, because he seems to be having a lot of influence with certain areas. Just like you, Pete. I don't have the ability to put something into your body. So you, the comparison between me and... I'm not sure Bill Gates can put it into your body either, just quietly. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Is the World Health Organization the one that does that? Is it the government's? Is it... Could be a great story for you to look at. <laughs> Coming up, we're just pawns in a big game. Do I believe the virus is real? No, I don't. Containing the outbreak is it frustrating? It's getting repetitive of conspiracy theories. Where my empathy stops is when people then become entrepreneurs. And why the loudest voice is worried. If I disappear or I have a freaking weird accident, it wasn't an accident, okay? That's next on 60 Minutes. Evans is in a place where he feels most at home, in the surf, on the beach, under the sun, enjoying a newfound freedom and feeling ever more empowered to explore the world away from what he calls the mainstream narrative. My intention is to inhabit a place of everything, so nothing is closed off, you know, and to be in that space means you're allowed to ask questions from all sides. Well, maybe I should ask you this. You believe the virus exists? I believe it does. From and all accounts, it seems to be that that exists, yes. I, I ask you that because that's one of the many things that are said in this alternative space, that the virus simply doesn't exist. Yeah. So you, you accept that the COVID-19 virus exists? From... To the best of my knowledge at this particular point in time, all the evidence proves or shows at this point point in time that the COVID-19 virus exists. It's a real thing. Yeah. And if there was a vaccine... Correct. Would you take it? 
Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, no. No. Does that make you an anti-vaxxer? No, not at all. I, I'm a big proponent of vaccines. There are very important vaccines out there in the community, to the best of my knowledge. Just that this vaccine is a problem for you if it should come about? Well, there's the, the, that therein lies the detail to the question. If it comes about, and if it is proved to be 100% safe for every single man, woman and child on the face of the planet. Now, if, if somebody can say and prove that it is completely safe, then I might consider it. For protest leader Thanis Panayidis, the seeds of doubt about coronavirus and the true world order were sown when he was 12 years old, when he made the curious promise to his father that he'd never allow himself to be microchipped. I remember I came into the house and my dad sat me down and he said, there's going to be a day in the future that you're going to get told to put a microchip in you. He goes, just listen to my words. When that day comes, don't you dare put that thing in your body. Do you know where your father got that idea from? I'm quite sure that it was from something called the Prophecy of St. John that he'd read. As far-fetched as it might sound, Fannis is convinced that day may soon be upon us all. When countries went into lockdown as the virus was sweeping the world, infecting more than six million people, Thanos decided the numbers just didn't add up. In my opinion, do I believe the virus is real? No, I don't. There's no COVID-19 virus? I believe there's probably a flu going around getting people sick, but I believe the, the motives of the world at the moment doesn't make sense at all. What would it take it to change your mind about the contagious nature of this virus? See it be contagious. Did you see those pictures in Italy? Have you seen those pictures in New York? Have you... Does that not tell you, wow, this is a contagious virus? Yeah, but there's media manipulation. And you know what we are? We're just pawns in a big game. I think particularly with the lockdown, a lot of people have lost their usual routine, their usual structures, their usual support systems. And then when people are more isolated, they've got a bit more time to think, they've got a bit more time to worry. That also builds anxiety um, and, and leaves people more vulnerable to these dangerous ideas being flouted out there. Dr. Danielle McMullen is president of the New South Wales branch of the Australian Medical Association. Hi, so you're here for your flu vaccine today? Containing the outbreak of conspiracy theories has become another part of her job, particularly during COVID-19 times. Is it frustrating? It's, it's getting repetitive. Um, so it is frustrating that people think that we're all out to get you and it's all one big lie because the health system nor the healthcare workers working within it nor the governments in charge of it have anything to gain from this pandemic. So you obviously don't think Bill Gates is behind all this? I do not think Bill Gates is behind coronavirus and I also don't think he would have anything to gain through creating coronavirus um, nor can we put microchips into people through vaccinations. Let's get that clear. There's no doubt the spread of coronavirus has seen an amplification of fears on so many fronts. 
and with it a sense of powerlessness and loss of control that Pete Evans identifies with. You've seen the stories of people that haven't been able to, you know, connect. You know, I shared that I visited my mum through this whole thing, and I love you, mum, and she probably wouldn't like me saying it, but, you know, she said, oh, I'm, 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 I don't know what to believe. And I asked her, I said, mum, can I give you a hug? And can your granddaughters give you a hug? And, and that, that action alone, fuck. That, that is what being human is about. And if I have to live in a society where I can't hug my mum because I've been told it's unsafe, she was allowed to make the decision whether we hugged her or not. I said, this is your decision, Mum, but we're here for you. And she fucking needed it. She needed that. And I needed it, and my kids needed it. You know, and... Oh. It's that sense of vulnerability that scientist Professor Stefan Lewandowski sees as giving rise to conspiratorial thinking. Fringe ideas of a small percentage of people given power by social media. Unlike real life, I can go onto social media and it doesn't matter how absurd a belief I hold, I will find a community of like-minded people. I can think the earth is flat, guess what? I go on Facebook and out of the billions of Facebook users, a few hundred others will believe what I believe. Now in real life you can't do that because there's so few of them that you'll never find them. But on social media, you can. Now, that is not a trivial result, because what that does is to reinforce people's belief and makes them more resistant uh, to persuasion. There's usually some uh, unkind words said about conspiracy theorists. Um, should we be a bit more gentle about that? I totally understand why some people would be drawn to a conspiracy theory because it offers comfort. Now, where my empathy stops is uh, when people then become entrepreneurs and they're pushing these theories in order to attract attention or for political benefit or uh, sometimes even for monetary benefit. That is where my sympathy stops very abruptly and clearly because I know what adverse consequences conspiracy theories can have for society. All I'm saying is sometimes what we've learned isn't always the truth. What I speak may not always be the truth, but at this particular point in time, this is to the, my best of my knowledge, and it may be wrong, or maybe there's a little bit of truth into it. But for me, it's my truth. They make unlikely kindred spirits. But both Pete Evans and Fanis Panayidis not only share a gut feeling about the world around us, they both say they are prepared to be wrong. It's a strange place to be now, isn't it, for you? Look, at the end of the day, what I'm doing at the moment can't be explained by the rationale of a person who doesn't see that there's anything going on that's sinister. I'm doing this because I'm concerned about the safety of everybody. I've put my whole life on the line for this. 
and it stinks of deceit and deception. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong about all this stuff. What would it take to show you that you are wrong? We're not tracked and, you know, we're not... Um, we don't become a one-world government. No more social distancing. And life goes back to normal. For Pete Evans, keeping a sceptical eye on what we're being told is as healthy for us as a good diet and regular exercise. A message he's determined to continue to spread whatever the personal cost. Have you been hurt? Yeah, I've been hurt. Because of the choices you've made? The things you've said? Yeah, the, the things... The judgments that have been made? Yeah, I've, I've, I've taken a few on the chin, right? And, you know, and sometimes I ask, well, what is this journey that I'm on? I never wanted to be famous or that, you know, and I could very easily disappear. I could very easily disappear, you know. Some people would like me to disappear, no doubt, and uh, I'll just make this one statement. If I disappear or I have a freaking weird accident, it wasn't an accident, okay? I, you know, and that's probably the most conspiratorial thing that I will say, that I am of what I believe complete sound mind and body and spirit this says to me you don't always feel safe there's been too many coincidences out there in the world for people that have questioned certain things sometimes those people don't last very long and that could just be a coincidence or you think that could be you i don't know hello i'm liz hayes Thanks for watching. To keep up with the latest from 60 Minutes Australia, make sure you subscribe to our channel. You can also download the Nine Now app for full episodes and other exclusive 60 Minutes content. Okay, I have another 60 Minutes one that I wanted to share with you. So let me just see if I can find it because... They weren't exactly side by side, but it was down lower. So let me see if I can find it. Hmm, here it is. This is 60 minutes of the final battle. It's unthinkable. Men we thought of as heroes are really anything but. Sadly though, the accusations couldn't be more serious. A small number of our special forces have brought shame upon themselves, the elite regiment they served, and the country itself. An exhaustive four-year investigation by the Defence Inspector General has found soldiers were potentially involved in shocking war crimes in Afghanistan. His report, set to be released within days, will detail a litany of heinous crimes I, committed against defenceless Afghans, including alleged executions. Tonight, we'll not only tell you why it got this bad, but also the one piece of good news. How this story was uncovered rather than covered up. The spectacular beaches of northern New South Wales couldn't be further from the battlefields of Afghanistan. Yet remarkably, this is the location of one of the most pivotal post-war moments. After Australian troops withdrew from Afghanistan south, this woman was given a highly sensitive 
top secret mission to infiltrate the inner sanctum of our most elite fighting men, the soldiers of our special forces. It's been a task like no other. One of the most disturbing things for me was people saying the phrase, it happened all the time. You say it was happening again and again. What was happening? What sort of actions are we talking about? It was killing as a sport. That was really what was the most distressing. Sociologist Dr Samantha Cromfords has dug deep into the minds of our toughest warriors. Some told her more than they told their closest confidants. But what she's found is not what we want to hear. The brutal truth about what Australian soldiers experienced and perpetrated in combat in Afghanistan. I was really conscious that I'm a woman who has never been to war and, you know, that there's a whole lot of stuff that I don't know. But the, the things that were described to me, there was no doubt that these things had occurred. And I heard similar stories from different people, from different organisations who told similar kinds of stories. That was what was disturbing. Like, that's why, that's why I had no doubt. And if I had have thought these are just kind of, um, you know, baseless rumours, you know, I just wouldn't have reported it. Samantha Cromford's assignment ordered by the Army's top brass has made her the enemy of many. They've tried to dismiss her as a clueless outsider, hell-bent on mudding the reputations of our decorated soldiers. But she's proven to be a wily fighter herself, and it's her work that's responsible for triggering the biggest inquiry in recent military history. There is some disturbing conduct here. This will be difficult and hard news for Australians, I can assure you. Tonight, as the nation braces for the damning findings of an independent Defence Force inquiry, we revealed what Samantha Cromford's uncovered. These weren't one-off events, they weren't fog-of-war situations. And how the bravery of those who refuse to be silenced... It is going to be hard for some people to accept. ...will help to heal the damage inflicted by a small number of rogue army men. To be validated and say, yep, you're absolutely right, yep, those things did happen. Wow, that's huge for all of us, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's part of the way to move forward. The sunlight now flooding into the dark corners of the Special Forces exposes terrible shame. For Dusty Miller, this moment has been a long time coming. In 2012, the SAS medic was deployed to Afghanistan. He's coming with me. It was there, while treating an injured Afghan farmer, he experienced something that still haunts him. A senior SAS soldier removing the patient from his care and allegedly stomping him to death. I regret that every single day and every single night of my life that I didn't do something about that. I should have said no. However, I worked with an organisation that was quite brutal and um, I think I'm not sure how things would have turned out if I had have done that. At the time, Miller reported this war crime to a senior military colleague, but he was ordered to stay quiet. It's at that moment he realised the unthinkable truth. For some soldiers, the rulebook for the war in Afghanistan had been thrown away. I guess the best way to explain it is that you have a moral compass. It, it's pretty set to true north. And after a period of time, that... That compass needle spins around. 
but you still know that it's still at north. I, I believe I know what's right and wrong and what we did and what happened there was very, very wrong. And that's, that's affected me profoundly. Dusty wasn't the only one left feeling betrayed. Last year, I interviewed two serving SAS soldiers who broke the code of silence to speak out about war crimes. They were risking jail time if they were identified, but told me it was more important to expose their fellow soldiers' wrongdoing. Their voices have been changed, but the words are theirs. I think they actually thought they were above the law. I think they actually thought they were not going to be caught, that it was a free-for-all. The second serving SS soldier was equally adamant action needed to be taken. What are you scared of? If we've done nothing wrong, if an individual has done nothing wrong, what has he got to be afraid of? The stories of war crimes became so frequent, eventually they were heard by Angus Campbell, the then Chief of Army. His response was as extraordinary as it was unmilitary. He enlisted an outsider to get to the bottom of what had really happened in Afghanistan. Samantha Crompets was given the most important job of her career. I think people trusted that I was, I was outside the organisation. I was looking at this quite objectively. I had nothing to win or lose, regardless of what I reported. Initially, Crompets was told by Army Chief Campbell to win the trust of our elite fighters and to report back. When was that moment you realised this might be bigger than I thought? We're not talking about a couple of, you know, sort of fog of war events that were, you know, perhaps confusing to understand or to have happened. This is sort of deliberate, repeated patterns of behaviour okay. that happened over time. Were you shocked when you realised the scale and systemic nature of some of it? Yeah, absolutely. Samantha Crompet's skill was disarming dozens of our battle-strong fighters. In hundreds of hours of interviews, they confided in her their secrets of war. What they told her was so confronting, it bordered on unbelievable. Did you hear about civilians being executed? Yes. Did you hear about young young people, teenagers or even children being killed? And were these people who were posing a threat to our armed forces or people who were killed for killing's sake? Uh, no. They were posing no threat? Uh, posing no threat. So they were killed, as you say, killed for sport? Look, it, what was described to me in some circumstances is that there was, um, there was a, a killing for sport mentality. Coming up, mate. Never let this go. No, I can't let it go. Out of control on the battlefield. You mean war crimes became a rite of passage? That was expected and encouraged in some circumstances. How the rules of war were ignored. Why weren't they stopped? And good men silenced. And I said I wasn't happy to move on. It's early in the trip. Long way to go. That's next on 60 Minutes. In 2015, Samantha Crompets was given an almost impossible task. Army Chief Angus Campbell asked her to build trust with Special Forces soldiers who'd fought in Afghanistan to record and pass on their darkest secrets. She didn't know it back then, but her work would spark the biggest war crimes inquiry in recent military history. This is the first time she's spoken publicly about the full details of her report. One of the first things when I first interviewed um, 
I spoke to a young soldier from a special forces unit. I was just talking to him about, you know, how he was liking being in the unit and would he go back to sort of, you know, big army. And he just said, absolutely not. The rules are different here. So the rules are different and there's no way I could go back to be treating like a child again, was what he described to me. And it really stuck with me because I think that whole idea that the rules are different is what is this kind of slippery slope into a series of things that go wrong and where internal tensions have festered over time. It just creates an environment where that is conducive to things going wrong. What Cromfords found out was difficult to comprehend. Some of Australia's most elite fighters kept killboards on their walls. And they were obsessed with wanting to chalk up debts, even if it meant killing defenceless civilians or prisoners. This small band of rogue special forces soldiers believed they could operate with impunity. How does a kill culture, killing for sport culture, become, in your words, the words from your report, deeply embedded in the culture of the special forces? It doesn't happen overnight, it happens over time. Special forces are known for everyone calls each other by their first names. Um, you know, it's very much, it is very different to the rest of army. So it's those small things that mean they're different, they can approach things differently, that I think um, have created an environment that was conducive to some really terrible things happening. It took Cromford's months to interview the soldiers after which she wrote an explosive confidential briefing and gave it to the army chief. The gravity of these descriptions does not simply come from the details of particular events. It comes from the emphasis that most often accompanied these stories. It happened all the time. The briefing paper was leaked to the Age newspaper last month by a confidential source. It's not hard to understand why the military hierarchy was so concerned. I was given the impression that there had been a large number of illegal killings often gloated about that had been reverse engineered, a sanctioned kill list. This was described to me as one of the most insidious, abhorrent and shameful things we could have been involved in. Guys just had this bloodlust. Psychos, absolute psychos. And we bred them. Your report makes it very clear that what you were told did not involve fog of war incidents, but involve calculated and deliberate executions, absolute blatant breaches of the rules of war, sometimes targeting prisoners or the unarmed or the weak. Why were you so certain that was the case? Uh, well, I had no reason to doubt um, the accounts that um, these people told me. There was no other agenda other than to just share their story with me to give me some context of, of what happened at the time. What gave you the belief that war crimes were being glorified? What were you told? Oh, I think in, in descriptions of them being uh, perhaps celebrated and normalised and almost a rite of passage for some uh, people. You mean war crimes became a rite of passage? I think in some instances that, that was kind of behaviour that was... Um, that was expected and encouraged in some circumstances. One of the many disturbing allegations in Cromford's briefing paper concerned two 14-year-old Afghan boys with claims they were shown no mercy by Australian Special Forces troops. They were stopped and searched and then their throats slit. The rest of the troop then had to clean up the mess. 
by finding others to help dispose of the bodies. In the end, the bodies were bagged and thrown in a nearby river. Again, it was impressed upon me that this was not an isolated incident. Do you believe that story to be true? Yeah. I, I have no reason to doubt it. You did write down extraordinary anecdote, extraordinary story after extraordinary story. Throats being slit, prisoners being murdered, farmers being executed, re reports of executions being covered up over and over again. Weren't you incredulous that this might all be being made up or at least exaggerated? It would have seemed odd that so many stories were so similar and so... Uh, and, and people from quite different, you know, times in Special Forces and and really with a lot to lose telling me those stories. Army medic Dusty Miller served with the SAS in Afghanistan. Deploying overseas was meant to be the highlight of his 25 years as a soldier. He saw the war go bad up close. We did some great work. We were actively seeking bad people and we wanted to stop the things that they were doing. There was collateral damage with that and there were certainly things that we, the line, that we, we, we stepped over a line. Dusty insists only a few soldiers stepped over the line. But when they did, innocent Afghans were killed. We'd get a job, we'd fly in, we'd go into a village, whatever, and then it would unfold. It was just then, we, we then jumped, we didn't step over the line, we jumped over the line and we made our own decisions and things happened because we wanted that to go that way, you know. We were the dominant force, there's no two ways about that. How was one small group of men form a kill squad and yet another who serve alongside them become horrified by that? Well, I think it takes um, certain people in those uh, groups with a lot of influence for that to happen. And why weren't they stopped? Why weren't they stopped? I think because they did, ha they were incredibly empowered. Um, they'd been you know, on a number of deployments, they had this kind of incredible street cred. There's an allure around uh, being in the unit. And, you know, I don't think we should forget that it's not just those soldiers uh, in the special forces units, but it's those people around them that potentially facilitated those behaviors as well. These groups become in, uh, uh, very empowered to do what they want. And is the price of being part of the in-group that when you hear about a kill squad, you look the other way? The price is high and how you untangle yourself from that in-group when you realise that actually it's not something you want to be a part of is really difficult. I also spoke to people who did, um, you know, who, who did call out bad behaviour um, and who were, uh, you know, basically belittled and, and left um, broken, really. Dusty Miller tried to do the honourable thing. He reported a potential war crime. Come on with me. The brutal murder of an injured and defenceless Afghan prisoner, but was ignored. I spoke to my senior uh, regimental medical officer and I told him what happened and I said I wasn't happy and I felt that there was a, a serious breach of ethics here. And unfortunately I was kind of, these things happen move on it's early in the trip got a long way to go you've never let this go no i can't let it go how dark has it got for you oh the darkest yeah the darkest i yeah it's i 
it's hard to explain how dark it's been. It's been bad. But unlike the officers on the ground in Afghanistan, Samantha Crompett did take seriously what men with stories like Dusty Miller were telling her. I mean, their actions are heroic, but I think they feel a deep shame for being associated with it at all. And I think that's, um, that's, what's, that's what's sort of staying with people. As more soldiers came forward and talked to Crumpets, the more shocked she was. Far from hiding it, Lieutenant General Angus Campbell told her to keep digging. He just told me, write it all down. Bad news doesn't get better with time. At the end of your inquiry, did you believe, having heard all that you did, that civilians, prisoners, the defenceless had been executed in cold blood? Yes. And why were you sure of that? Because I heard uh, similar stories over and over. The imminent release of senior judge Paul Brereton's damning four-year report and the Prime Minister's move this week to appoint a special war crimes investigator means Crumpet's work has been validated and vindicated. These are incredibly complex events uh, involving actions and conduct in another country in a war. And that is not a simple process. But back in 2016, when she wasn't able to discuss or defend her findings publicly, she became the target of vicious abuse. What was it like to be the subject of all that, that hate? I think, I mean, it makes you feel incredibly vulnerable. Um, but I also knew that for a lot of the people commenting, they actually had no idea what they were talking about. And I was gobsmacked, actually, by some people very publicly, you know, public figures coming out so strongly, um, denying that, you know, any of these incidents had or could have ever occurred. Um, I found it, yeah, bewildering. The campaign against Samantha Crompets intensified, reaching its peak in 2018, when powerful voices like former Defence Minister Brendan Nelson cast doubt over those confronting accusations. Where lies the national interest in tearing down our heroes? Nelson's criticism was in defence of his close friend and Australia's most famous soldier, Ben Robert Smith, who'd just been accused by some of his own Special Forces colleagues of committing war crimes in Afghanistan, allegations Robert Smith denies. I stand by Ben Robert Smith. I believe in him and I will stand by him no matter what happens in the future. How did you feel about those sorts of comments? They were quite bewildering, really, that he would, that he would come out so publicly and so strongly uh, without knowing um, the information. And this is the treatment that he gets from elements of the Australian media. Last year, when I interviewed serving SAS soldiers outraged by the silence around what went on, Move. they too named Ben Robert Smith as allegedly being involved in the murder of a prisoner. Let's go, let's go. One incident they told me about was the killing of Afghan farmer Ali Jan by one soldier, moments after he was kicked by another. The allegation is that he was kicked off the cliff uh, and then was executed at the bottom of the cliff. Kicked the man, the prisoner of war, at Small Cliff. The individual that kicked the detainee off the cliff was Ben Robert Smith. And you're saying this about Australia's most famous soldier? It is going to be hard for some people to accept, uh, but that is the truth.
We traveled to Afghanistan last year to investigate what really happened to Ali Jan. In Kabul, we met his heartbroken wife and children who've been waiting years for justice. Assalamu alaikum. Nice to meet you. They killed him. The whole world says they killed him. He has not committed any crime or cruelty. They killed him for no reason. Coming up, he didn't die of his wounds. I can promise you that. The toughest battle of all. He was murdered. Oh, I believe so, yeah. Righting the wrongs. I wish I'd have done more. Of Australia's military shame. I think the command really has to understand why these issues manifested in the first place. That's next on 60 Minutes. taken five long years, but Australia is finally facing up to the terrible war crimes committed by our own soldiers. But sadly, the innocent victims in Afghanistan are yet to see justice. The family of Ali Jan, a man allegedly kicked off a cliff by an SAS soldier after being taken prisoner and handcuffed, and then shot by another soldier, has never recovered from their loss. I'm so sad it becomes hard for the day and night to pass. I keep thinking about why this happened to me. Why is he gone for no reason? Why did such cruelty happen? The alleged murder of Ali Jan in 2012 will, according to multiple sources, be described in detail in the classified version of the Inspector General's report. The federal police is separately still investigating Ben Robert Smith over his alleged involvement in this killing after interviewing SAS eyewitnesses and has referred a brief of evidence to prosecutors. He will also be referred to police for investigation in coming weeks for other alleged war crimes. The VC recipient denies any wrongdoing. A separate incident, one that's changed Dusty Miller's life, will also be detailed in the Inspector General's report, although the specifics may remain classified. The former SAS medic gave evidence that a potential war crime was committed when an Afghan civilian in his care was taken from him by a senior soldier. I assume that he was killed, basically. You know, or he, you know he, he didn't die of his wounds, so I, I can promise you that. He was murdered. Well, I believe so, yeah. Dusty remains deeply distressed by what went on back in 2012 and earlier this year contacted the family of murdered man Haji Sada to ask for forgiveness. I, I treated your father's wound and uh, sort of made him as comfortable as I could. Unfortunately, um, as we were about to leave, um, one of my other colleagues um, asked to take your father away from my care. The injuries that your father had sustained were not immediately life-threatening. Something very bad had happened to your father and um, and it was wrong. And I'm, I'm very sorry for what happened to your father and I wish I'd have done more. I am very thankful to him for helping my father. He has done as much as he could do. And when things were beyond his ability, then no one can hold one accountable for. You, you shouldn't have lost your father that day. Um, and I am so sorry that that happened. 
The release in coming days of the Inspector General's report will confirm what soldiers like Dusty have been saying bravely for years. 60 Minutes has confirmed at least 12 alleged executions of non-combatants and prisoners will be referred to police, along with at least 10 serving and ex-SAS soldiers. To be validated and say, yep, you're absolutely right, yep, those things did happen. Well, that's huge for all of us, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's part of the way to move forward. For those who helped uncover this scandal, people like Samantha Crompets, there's one simple wish. That while we mightn't like having our military history rewritten, it's essential if we're to avoid repeating the sins of the past. I think the command really has to reflect and understand why these issues manifested in the first place. And I think if they don't understand that history, then they won't be able to recognise when it might be happening again. So why should we care? I mean, we should care because so many young Australian men and women aspire to be a part of the Special Forces. And if we ignore it, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that say about our values and ethics and what we want our kids to aspire to be? Um, and it says a lot about how we value our army and what we expect of them. Strike is made, talk to him. They like that as well. The Inspector General's final report will close one chapter for Dusty, but open another. He's founded an outdoor adventure program for veterans struggling with their own demons as he yearns to find his own peace. On horseback, the horrors of war fade away, if only for a short time. It's grounding, it's freedom, it's, it's not thinking about those things that intrusively enter your mind. It's, it's something else, it's... Yeah, it's another way. It's, 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 it's better than taking drugs and seeing a psychologist or psychiatrist. It's important. It, it, it's basically a... Uh, it's purposeful, you know? It gives them some direction. It gives them something to look forward to. It gives them a, a purpose in life and, a, and uh, yeah, a way forward. You looking forward to it? Oh, immensely. Hello, I'm Liam Bartlett. Thanks for watching. So keep up with the latest from 60 Minutes Australia. Okay, so um, yesterday I did another uh, podcast on the Afghanistan war with um, some of the rogue shootings that were going on um, just for sport. And um, yeah, those things happen and the people that do them, I think they have um, a lifetime of... Um, misery trying to get over it uh, what I wanted to share with you next after I reset everything is um, a long time ago I well, let me just turn this stuff off and then I'll talk about it I'll be right back <laughs> 